Hello, everybody, and welcome back to In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. We're on week six of Star Trek Lower Decks. This week we'll be discussing episode six, Terminal Provocations. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin, joined, as always, by... By the second host, Ethan. So we got a good show this week. We got a good episode this week, and... Um, I I was I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, how about you? Yeah, I feel that. I I mean, let's see. I liked it. I didn't love it. I didn't laugh as much as other episodes, but I enjoyed it. It's almost as if the show hit a cruising altitude, where it's yeah. sort of steady as she goes. You know, there it gave me a good story, but it wasn't really. I've seen funnier ones, but. It had a lot of things going for it that we've been talking about wanting to see, and I think we saw a lot of those. So uh, overall, I was pretty happy with it. I like that you said cruising altitude because I feel like with that, I think the show has hit a kind of a nice groove. I think I feel like in the past that they've either, they've, they've either gone too much on the comedy or maybe not enough. And I feel like this had kind of a good balance of all the things about the show that make it work. I think it was a good healthy dose of many different things. And I think just on that notion, I enjoyed it. I certainly could have used a little more on the humor side, personally, Mm. but we'll get into that. So the plot of this week, a couple plots, of course, three plots, as always. You have your senior staff plot, which is the Cerritos comes across a uh, you know, some... uh, Starfleet, some debris from an, an old Starfleet vessel, an old Antares Starfleet vessel, and these other aliens have staked a claim on that ship, and they get into a little bit of a tiff with them. The lovable and yet awkward Ensign Fletcher makes work difficult for Mariner and Boimer, and Rutherford introduces Tendi to a holodeck training program he created. So, I think first things first. So, beginning with the episode, the the opening tease. This was a. I loved this opening tease. This 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 very well could be my favorite opening tease out of all the out of all the episodes that we've seen so far. I have to agree. It was hilarious the whole setup of it because it worked on two levels, which makes it great. First, it's funny because we all think about those humming noises, right? How, I right. Think how relaxing they are. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they know the humming noises, which leads us to wonder, how do they know? They've never been on Voyager, but whatever. It's funny. Um, And then the fact that someone seeing people standing in a circle all humming at different frequencies would seem like, especially on, uh, you know, a Federation ship, it would seem like something horrible is happening and some alien has taken over their minds or something. And I never thought of the idea that each ship has its own kind of different ambient sound going back and watching the older shows i i I mean i don't haven't really noticed a difference but to your point earlier like don't think that i haven't in times that where i've had trouble falling asleep that i have not gone to youtube and played a like 24-hour ambient enterprise or voyager sounds to help me fall asleep because they do have those and they've got engineering as well so Here's my question: Does the Cerritos actually have an ambient sound? I haven't noticed it. I, I haven't. I haven't I noticed it either. It. Now, now I'm going to. Now I'm going to listen for it. 
Yeah, I haven't noticed either. Yes, I don't. I don't... I, I, you know what? I feel as though I would have noticed it if it were there. I think I, I, I'm with you. I feel like I would have too, and I think that we would have included that in our original observations on the first episode. But I feel like we're just those kinds of fans because I think it would just be one of those. I think it would be one of those additional nice touches that we would have mentioned. It would, it would feel like. Just like the creator said, they're they're making the last '90s Trek show. Yeah. That by using the right sound, you could really evoke '90s Trek. Right. So yeah, I, I I don't know. I it's funny. I didn't I didn't give it much thought after the opening tease. So I'll have to go back and check that out and see if there actually is. I I would suspect cause we've seen engineering on the Cerritos. I would suspect that we've heard it at least in engineering. So I've always assumed that's where the sound comes from. Hmm. So, but I, even though in this, omission. even in, yeah, even in this episode, they do say what what causes that sound. So, yeah, it would be a glaring omission though to make a joke about the engine hums or the the whole ship hums and then not have right, right. So, but, agreed. Very funny. So, why don't we uh, do the Boimler and Mariner story first? So, I liked the story. I thought it was very funny, and I liked that. I continue to love their ever-evolving friendship, and I think this week just made it for me made it more apparent than ever. I'm I'm kind of slow sometimes when it comes to stuff like this, but I kind of I feel like I kind of honed in on where what their relationship between the two of them is. She's really kind of doing her best to get Boimler to just loosen up and realize that Starfleet isn't just about performing your duties, right? And it kind of puts me in mind of what Captain Pike said to Burnham in Discovery, where he said, uh, wherever our mission takes us, we'll try to have a little fun on the way, maybe ruffle a few feathers. And it just kind of, I feel like that's kind of the attitude that Mariner is taking, right? She wants him to do well, but she also wants him to realize that, it's not, again, it's not just about performing your duties and performing your duties well. And other shows have gone into that, too, with Starfleet officers. So even though, again, it's an adult animated comedy, Boimler is still the atypical new Starfleet officer. And there's always that one officer who just has to take him by the side, take him off to the side and say, no, it's not just about that. So, yeah. Yeah, I really like that element as well. And I really like that we got the contra with uh, Fletcher and that here's what someone who just is breaking rules because they're an idiot right or doesn't don't respect the rules here's what they look like but i think that mariner summed it up best she said i only break dumb rules so i can do my job better right because in the end that's what she wants to do she wants to do her job well she wants to um you know follow out carry out the mission of starfleet and she sees the rules as getting in the way of that and I don't think, for me anyway, like when she when she says it that way, it wasn't something that I really kind of realized. I mean, I think there were there were moments. I believe in one of the earlier episodes, you had said that she, at times, had a bit of a Captain Kirk mentality, and totally. I think, and I think that's a way of describing who Kirk is as well. Her mentality of how she breaks rules is kind of the same way that Kirk did it, right? But when she says that to Fletcher, it's like, yeah, like for me, like it just, it suddenly clicked with me that that's really what she does. That's where it makes sense to me. Yeah. That's why she, maybe she's the most 
Starfleet of all, as yeah. they say. So, I mean, what were your thoughts on on their plot, the two of them, this week? I thought the introduction of Fletcher was great, mm-hmm. and I really liked it. And um, it, it, he reminded me of uh, is where I will defer to your knowledge. Who's the who's the really inept crew member on Next Generation? Oh, Shows ba- up. Barkley. Yes, Lieutenant Barkley. Barkley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh. like here's the 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 ratcheted up a notch or seven um, version yeah. of Barkley. Don't you worry there. because he's going to, Barkley's going to come up with my continuity watch. So yeah. Oh, nice. anyway, yeah. So yeah, I really love that where, <clears throat> as we said, um, and as he said, even Fletcher said, there's a baseline of goodness in to everyone in Starfleet. Yep. <laughs> Just not him. Just not <laughs> or, him. Or our bridge crew sometimes. Right. Um, so I really like that. I also really like the whole lower deck stick together. Yep. And they cover each other's ass, but all to a, to a degree, once it actually puts people in danger, it's like Fletcher took that too far. Right. And he thought, oh, we can just, we can do anything we want because we're going to cover for each other. Right. Where they realize that you do it on little things, but when you're actually putting people in danger, that crosses the line. Well, and because I think he believes that and again, it goes back to what he was saying to Mariner. Like, what do you mean you break the rules? He was almost like he was almost depending on her to just sort of lie lie for him and get him out of that because that to him is what she is, and that's what she's like. No, I don't. No, I don't break rules that way. Right. He yeah. broke them because he was lazy and wanted right. to cut corners. Right. And he was pretty dumb. Yeah. So I think in a way, his character being there and getting fired has brought the reality of Starfleet back a little bit for me. Because we talked a few episodes ago, maybe two or three, that the bridge crew would have all been fired. Because they're all maniacs. Or at least they acted like maniacs in that one episode. But now, I'm glad that um, Barkley, I'm calling Barkley, so Fletcher is here because this has shown us that there is, it it can't just be total silliness. There is some degree of like the reality scale that this is still Starfleet. You can't just do totally crazy things. I'm really glad you said that because I've, I because I kind of honed in on when you said it brings in the reality of the situation. I think for me that's kind of what brought in the reality of for me in terms of who Mariner is and how she wants, as I was saying a little while ago, as she wants Boimler to kind of loosen up. I feel like the Fletcher plot made some of the established relationships just more clear cut for me. And really, again, I like the way you put that, that it brought out the reality of it all, right? There was, again, it, it was something that really didn't test the relationship, but it maybe evolved the relationship is a better way of putting it. I don't know. But either way, like that's what the Fletcher plot made me appreciate the relationship between Mariner and Boimer much more. Right. Because another thing, they were on the same side for right. once. Right. Instead of it being either Mariner is saving Boimler's butt or Boimler's out of his depth and Mariner is, right. you know, helping him or Mariner's in trouble and Boimler is saving her butt. You know, this was they were on the same side of the problem and they both were sort of united in their respect for the for Starfleet. But this, this is also what I find so interesting about the show in that and I don't know if this is a kind of radical observation because I don't watch a lot of uh, adult animated shows 
I mean, I sometimes have Adult Swim on, but I don't really, you know. But you're a Simpsons fan, and you always have been, right? The Simpsons, if you compare this show with The Simpsons, right, and this is where I'll need your help. What I see with this show is that even though it's funny, we get good laughs out of it, it isn't sort of like a repeating of jokes over and over again. Like, there actually is some character development happening here, right? It's it's not... It's not. Family. Does this happen on The Simpsons, right? Like, is it like is this unique in a, in a way, right? Or is it just oh, on the repeating Simpsons, jokes over and over again? Really? Yeah. No, The Simpsons wasn't repeating jokes over and over, but things also though they would basically reset that, for each episode. That's what I mean. It's it doesn't feel over time. They, yeah. Yeah, some things would come in like I just rewatched the the episode Lisa the Lisa becomes a vegetarian. And she stays a vegetarian hmm. for the rest of the series. Right. As far as I can remember. So right. things like that would happen. But the one that I find it most akin to, as I mentioned before, is the Harley Quinn animated series. Right. And on that show, uh, there are these story arcs that go through. Like, I don't want to spoil anyone, but if you want to skip ahead. Um, yeah. So um, po- uh, Poison Ivy has a relationship with this B-list or D-list villain kite man but really harley and ivy realize that they have feelings for each other so it's like amongst all the crazy hijinks and just laughs there is this also this story of you know this love triangle that develops throughout so i think that this is very much like that i mean this this harley quinn show just started um i believe in 2019 yeah so it's also very recent um, and I think it's very similar, similarly um, structured in the jokes and the, the the tone of it, except they swear a lot on Harley Quinn. But to your point is that they – I like – well, you kind of – you kind of captured the thought I was trying to articulate. This show doesn't reset. And right. I no, like it that. doesn't reset. Yeah. I think – and it's weird. I wonder if this show if – you, if you really stop and think about it. Is this structurally, is this giving us a little bit of an insight as to what maybe Strange New Worlds is going to be like, right? Like, we're just thinking the same thing. Where it does have kind of a light reset, but the character threads are continuing throughout the episode, or throughout the yes, week. Yes, but, but what they face each episode is totally different. Right. But, That's what I hope for. Right. And but so. It's obviously with a different tone. Oh, totally. But I think this i think this is a good potential preview into what we can expect in terms of how Strange New Worlds is going to be structured, right? I mean, obviously it's not going to be a comedy, but it's going to be that planet, that alien, that mystery of the week. Yes. But you're going to carry over those character threads week to week. And I think they said in that panel, like, they were going to be eventually kind of sort of building to something in the background. Yeah. But, like, you, like, I would have no problem if somebody said to me, can I watch Lower Decks, but do I, like, maybe years from now, right, if somebody said to me, I want to start watching Lower Decks, right, can I just jump in to whatever, you know, whatever season we're in? If the show continues this way, I can probably say, yeah, go back and watch the old ones if you want to, Yeah. but you could probably just jump in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, and I think little um, context, of course, but yeah, not to um, jump on your bit for later, but on the NPR podcast, Pop Culture Happy Hour, 
um, when they were talking about the show, someone made the point that this, they could see this being many people's first Star Trek that they watch. Yeah. And then they might watch the show and laugh a lot and also pick up on the little things and then say, oh, look at this other Star Trek show. I think I'll check it out and they might like it. But hopefully not be disappointed that not every other, the, the other Star Trek shows are not comedies. Right. Yeah. But they probably will at least be able to watch and say, oh, yeah, I remember that from right. the Lord X episode. Right, exactly. Now the jokes make more sense. So I think, yeah, in, for me, in concluding the, the plot for their week, I thought it was great. And again, the, the Fletcher side of it made me appreciate their relation, the relationship between Boimer and Mariner way, way more this week. Um, so I think it was a good, I think it was a really good um, plot for the two of them. A good, a good character development plot for them. So I agree. I also really like finding out a little bit more about the ship of how they have the different shifts. Yep. And that's not, I don't know that that's come up on another. Well, but it makes so much sense because, you know, here on earth, we have different shifts, but yeah. it's a pain in the butt if you work a later shift because it's nighttime and your circadian rhythms are off. Well, but it's, in yeah. space, it wouldn't matter. You could, for those people, they probably just have their lights situated in such a way that it feels to them like they're waking up in the morning. But just interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's not new to Trek. Uh, I, we've definitely seen this in the next-gen episode, Chain of Command, where mm-hmm. like the, the shifts are mentioned. So it's, it's come up before. So... Um, but I would say not enough. And so there was one sort of, I don't know, it felt like a major part of that storyline that I really didn't like. And um, it just didn't land for me. And I felt like this is supposed to be funny, but it's not landing. But the whole choo-choo dance. Oh, and right. the choo-choo-choo dance. Right. It was just so silly. And it was it just seemed like there were touring musicians on the starship. That all struck me as very odd and it just didn't land. I think that's why I feel as though this no, you're right. It didn't land. A little less excited about. Well, that 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 moment on the show, the choo-choo dance, it didn't. It definitely didn't land. But I don't feel like it fully contributed much to the plot. Like it helped kind of maybe smooth a few things over, like that was ha- that were happening externally. But overall, I don't think it yeah, made it a gave, massive contribution to the. Yeah. It gave the alibi to the Delta um, shift crew. Right, right. Which I guess is its function in the plot. Right, Um, yeah. But I did, as sort of an ancillary to this story, I think is the bridge, Mm. which I loved what we got. Because we got, I don't think we didn't get a whole lot, but what we got was funny. And lo and behold, the captain acted more like a Starfleet captain. Yeah, and very exciting for me. Actually, and on that note, because I, I began noticing it with the bridge plot. Did you did you feel like in this episode there was almost an overabundance of no, we're Starfleet? Like they just kept repeating it over and over again. And by, by like the fourth time, I'm like, okay, I get it. Like I understand. <laughs> like they just I kept. I didn't say that a lot between yeah. Mariner being through Starfleet and then right. The Here's the thing. When you have someone like the security officer who wants to blow everyone up, I think you would have to yell, no, we're Starfleet a lot. Because that's the appropriate response to that guy wanting to blow everyone up. Right. Right. And I mean, it's great to hear it. I think that... We just heard it a lot this this week for some reason. Yeah. This is what I want to see, though. I want to see the bridge crew that is basically a functional 
bridge crew that are not um, yeah petty, scheming, manipulative, shitty people. And, and I think, and and that's what we got in episode three and episode four, and that's why we were a little like we were really turned off by that in those episodes because I think to me obviously the show is Star Trek Lower Decks right it's about the Lower Decks crew but it it felt like that mentality funneled up to the bridge crew and became the mentality of the ship itself and I thought no that's not what I want this to be like it needs to be the, the the bridge crew even though they may be commanding an unimportant ship, needs to be needs to be taking all of this seriously. Yeah, they don't realize they're on an unimportant unimpo- ship. Yeah, right. And I, I I don't mind the fact that, for instance, you have um, the number one is super arrogant and thinks he's God's gift to everything. Mm. Like that's good, and that can be mined for a lot of laughs. And that the uh, head of security wants to blow everything up. That's pretty funny. You can mine yeah. that for a lot of laughs, but you kind of need the captain to be pretty stable right? and keeping all those personalities in line and you use them for the jokes, but don't let it get out of hand. The captain needs to be the foil to all of that. Yes. Right. So and maybe she acts somewhat irrationally when it comes to her daughter a little bit because family and all that. Yeah. But not so far out that she would jeopardize Starfleet. Right. Or the ship or the mission or anything like that. I would say, and before we get into the uh, Rutherford-Tendi plot, just to kind of maybe continue with the bridge plot here a little bit, if we could. I feel like, because we we talked about this in the past, like the the, the captain relationship with with, um, Mariner, right? Like, I had mentioned in the past, I don't feel like that is kind of going anyplace, and I know they... You know what we saw a few weeks ago with the terraforming and like was mo- in moist vessel when we saw them getting close. Was that meant to be kind of like a light resolving of that and then just putting it off to the side, right? Because that to me felt very random, and I still don't feel like her being the the daughter of the captain really means anything right now, right? Or really, yeah, ever I hope, does. So I hope you're right. Yeah. Because, like I said, I didn't think that storyline worked was working so well. Right, because I thought to myself, like, is this going to be... Because, obviously, we talk about we don't want the bridge crew to be these, like, a bunch of, like, assholes, right? And you just talk about the captain needs to be the most stable one out of all of them. But I actually thought in the first episode when the captain, when Captain Freeman was pissed that her daughter, that she was now stuck with her daughter, I thought to myself, is one of the continuing sort of jokes of the show going to be the captain maybe like scheming in some way to get her but in like ridiculous ways trying to get her off the ship in some way and just keeps getting foiled every single time right i'm glad that was just one attempt and then they did talk it out and now things seem okay and i think and while i think that sounds funny to me thinking about it i could see that quickly getting stale right it's like it eventually, it's like that mentality, like it's it's the coyote never being able to catch a roadrunner. It's just it's going to be and and while that's funny, it's just like once you begin to run out of ideas, it's just yeah. you know so it's sort of you know a low effort sitcom writing, right? You know you sort of right. have the same thing and it's the same general pattern every time, right? 
And uh, yeah, so I feel like this does a lot of the things that, um, you know, your more common sitcoms do as far as you have your very separate plots that kind of come together a little bit, but it's definitely not doing what lazy sitcoms do, which is great. Thankfully. But speaking of separate plots, let's move over to the holodeck. Yeah, let's. Um... <laughs> this was a... Okay, so... I said earlier in the episode it was my favorite uh, opening tease, and this was probably... this is. I think this is going to go down as one of my favorite subplots in the series. I thought this was great. I mean, it was a really nice spin on the established holodeck malfunctioning trope, but badgy? <laughs> it was amazing. I mean, I love that everybody is making the, the connection, because I did when I first saw it. It's, it's, it's um it reminds us of Clippy. It's the you know the old Microsoft virtual the old Microsoft Word virtual assistant you know dating back to the late 90s early 2000s. I remember him and being annoying. And it was a little bit of that with like a little bit of a mix of like Siri and Alexa. I, I God that was that was so great. I just I loved every second of it. I think that was the hardest I laughed on the show. And as I said, Alexa, my Alexa spoke. <laughs> um. So. I'm glad that it worked for you. It did. I thought I got a couple of laughs out of it. It didn't work as well for me. But, um, you know, that's the beauty of the show. It's got all kinds of comedy. But I did like their story arc in general because we haven't really seen um, the green Orion character who is called Tendi. Tendi. <laughs> I had to check my notes. Um, we haven't seen Tendi kind of seem so, um, uh, you know, incapable of something. And it was really cool to see Rutherford step up and help her with that. So I think that their relationship is coming along very nicely. And I think it's progressing a lot more naturally than Mariner and well, Boimler. I, in I, that they're getting closer each time, I think. Each time they, we have a significant plot together. I mentioned it last week, right? And so, so first of all, like this week had such fantastic character development for all four of them. And what I love about the Rutherford Tendi relationship, as I was mentioning last week, is that not only are they nerds, like they're and they're tech nerds, right? But they're also Starfleet nerds. They love they love being there. They're always excited. They love being on the. They just love being in Starfleet. They will do. They don't care what they get assigned to do. They will gladly do it because they're just, they're just happy being in Starfleet. And yes, and I think they compare very favorably to who you know is my favorite engineer employee of all of Star Trek, which is Jordy LaForge. Yeah, right. So I think like Jordy would love having them in his engineering. They fit right. right in. You know, They geek out over all the technical specs, Yeah. and they love solving a problem. Right. And the more I think of it, like, Tucker was like that, too, on Enterprise. Like, he... I remember, like, there was an episode of Enterprise when they were meeting this alien species, and in Enterprise, the fastest they can go is Warp 5. And Archer was teasing him on something, and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, these alien species are out kind of like, they can go Warp 7. And he goes, what? Warp 7? God, I'd love to take a look at those engines. Like... Yeah. But what I love about Rutherford and Tendi is, like, 
you know, when you talk about Star Trek being a mirror for today, like they nerd out the way people nerd out today. And it's so relatable. Yeah. Definitely. Like they're nerds. I think maybe, and maybe I'm wrong in this observation, but like they're outed nerds. It used to be like, if you were a nerd, you kind of kept that to yourself. Right. But now like they're just, they're mainstream nerds. They, they're nerds and everybody is happy to be one if they are one. Right. And I think now this is sort of off the topic of this one arc, but I think, and I don't know if I ever realized this before, but I think that's one of the things that appealed so much about Star Trek to people is that the nerdery of the characters was embraced and it made them better and cooler. It was one of the few places, especially if you go back 60s, 70s, 80s, one of the few places where being a nerd was an asset Uh that you could watch in media. So just put that together. That's probably why, um, you know, the nerdier people would be drawn to Star Trek. Well, it, it, it goes back to, and I was saying this, as well last week, and I know you. I think you kind of gave me a face, but I meant it in the most positive way possible. The way that the two of them nerd out, it's like the way Star Trek fans nerd out, right? I mean, and you gave me the face because you instantly went to the haters, right? But when you talk, when you... That's just a small, and that's a small section of it, right? The people who I interact with, the Trek fans that I interact with, like, say, on Twitter... We just we we love Star Trek. We just love everything about it. It makes us so happy. We're so excited. It's a great time to be a Star Trek fan. And we just nerd out about it. It's like and we're just like the more Trek the better. The better everything is, right? And they're passionate. They're passionate with what they with what they like to do in the in Starfleet, just as Trek fans are passionate about the franchise. Right. I'm just anxiously awaiting there to be like a moment where there's like where like they encounter a hater. Right. I I really want that to be the case at one point. <laughs> right. Yeah. They probably will too, because the interesting thing is what they love and they get excited about is the work that they have to do. And you right. know, as anyone that's ever worked anywhere, a lot of times at a workplace you have people that like to complain. Yeah. So just like Star Trek fans, there are some that like to complain. Yeah. So it could it would make up for a ripe parallel. I, I will say, going back to Badgie for a second, one note that I had that I think would have made this, in my opinion, a little bit funnier. When Badgie went on hit went on his sort of first of all, I love the idea of just like it's a Starfleet it's a Starfleet arrowhead. It's a Starfleet Delta with eyes <laughs> hands and feet like i don't know why that just it's just it's so it's almost as if like no thought went into it at all right and it was just to the to me that's just really funny i wish when he turned psychotic i thought it would have been funny if he like turned into a section 31 black badge or something <laughs> or a, a goatee would have been or, the or a goatee, yeah, yeah. joke yeah and just kind of like i had like random thoughts about about badgie like when they switch the holodeck program to go to Bajor and they're going up the up to the temple and they're climbing the steps and they're exhausted and I'm like, why is Badgie sweating? Like he shouldn't even be sweating at all. Like he's not even real. And I don't know, for some reason that just right. like that just tickled me for some reason. And it, and thankfully Rutherford also agreed with you. Yeah. When he this doesn't make any sense. It should not. This it should not affect him at all. Right, and he um, seemed. And he yeah, seemed... I mean, definitely using this great trope of Star Trek, which is 
the the hol- a holodeck malfunction, and suddenly the stakes are real, and yep. you can't just stop it. Right. It sort of had all the great elements of a lot of those next gen episodes. Well, and it's really I think for me it's making me realize. Granted, we've seen this plot many times. I thought to myself, like, okay, why can you turn off safety protocols in the holodeck? Like, it's like, it's like, it's like be the equivalent of like driving your car and be like, and being and like disabling the airbags. Like, why can you? Yeah. Why do you? Why do you? Why do they have that? And really, it's a plot or device. It like it's a plot device, but it doesn't make sense a in the show. Shooter and saying it'd be like playing a first-person shooter and saying like real bullets. Yes. I mean, I can understand, like, it being a difficulty level type of thing, and it's a plot device for the show, but within the world of the show, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think it's just, now we got to roll with it. I, I don't know why it's taken me so long to wonder about that, but... Yeah, well, really, it saved yeah. them a few times when they've used it to have holodeck characters I mean, attack real real enemies. I mean, it happened in First Contact. Like, Picard disabled the safety protocol so he could take out the Borg with a Tommy gun. And at that point, I thought oh, to yeah. myself, like, well, now you got the answer. Now you got your, uh, now you can stop them in the movies. Just lure them all into the holodeck and then sh- take them out with a Tommy gun, and then you're fine, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um. So it, it it works for the plot when necessary. It's one of those things, like, yeah, it has the advantages of being enabled and not enabled, but still, I like my I like my comparison. If I'm driving my car, I'm not gonna, you know, disable the airbags in case I get into an accident. Like that's just right. ridiculous. Right. Yeah. I, I did think it was very clever that the the thing that did work was he was able to change the environment. Yeah, that was that, interesting. To that me. was a fun touch. Well, because, because yeah, he change any settings, but he could change the environment, which puts him in a lot better shape. Because what I was afraid and was he gonna... told the Bajoran uh, flea market or whatever it was. Because what I was afraid was going to happen is that when they were still in space doing the simulation when Badgie sliced open his suit and he was leaking oxygen, I thought to myself, Oh my God, the safety protocols are off. He's going to get in trouble. Like, is he going to, is he going to, mm-hmm. you know, dive space exposure because he's right. So, um, yeah, but that was, that was an interesting point. Cause I, I made the same observation like, okay, well, why can they change the, uh, why can they change the location? <laughs> but whatever it's, it's totally fine. But that was, I got some massive, massive laughs from from that from that plot from that uh, subplot. I loved loved that subplot. Yeah, I think my my favorite part probably was the murderousness of um, Badgie, and I yeah. think they had a lot of fun coming up with some very specific, uh, you know, things that we wanted to do to be murderous. Right. I think we'll get to in our favorite lines. <laughs> it was so ridiculous too. This is Starfleet Delta coming to kill you. Yeah, only that. But you know, I'll bathe in her blood. Yeah, it was very. And at one point, you hear. And at one point, I forget what his exact quote was. It might have been that one. I think he says something like, "You he's off screen, and he's like, I'm gonna bathe in her blood." La 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 la. He's like doing like a he was doing like a like a Hannibal Lecter type of thing, and just and that really made me laugh. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think that might be a good transition to our favorite funny lines. Favorite funny lines. So, I've got two, but why don't you go first? Okay, I also have two. Um, One, it was very subtle, but I really liked when um, Mariner um, 
got cheese in the doctor's coat. Yep. And the doctor said, um, you know, you should be working at Starbase 80. And someone in the background just yelled out, Starbase 80! Yep. As if this was a very common insult that they all knew. Yep. And uh, it was a very, it was a, it was a very intense way to insult someone. I thought that was pretty, pretty darn hilarious. Yep. Um, and then when it comes to Badgie, my favorite was when Badgie was dying in Rutherford's arms. <clears throat> you know, Badgie, poor Badgie didn't have much life left, but managed with one of uh, Badgie's last dying breaths to say, I'm going to cut off her foot. <laughs> he just, he wouldn't, he couldn't let go of his murderousness. But the fact that he's <laughs> going to cut off her foot was a very, uh, a very strange one. I thought that was great. And then I think my third was when um, uh, Fletcher came up with the elaborate um, story that they were going to lie to the captain about a cue coming on board. Yeah. And he right. suggested that we build, that they build up the thing and then let it beat them up a bit so that their story would be more believable. It was such a crazy... I actually uh, thought that was going to be when we were going to get the Q cameo because we know that he's coming on the show at some point. So, yeah. yeah. So my favorite lines, uh, you know, one from the first officer where he says, please, on the bridge, he says, please, please, let me shoot that warp core. I've been very good this month. And then as the, uh, so from, and then from the, um, the Tendi, or not the Tendi, uh, from the Boimer and Mariner story with the Evolves computer core, which I thought was a nice spin on like sort of like tech gone wrong on the show on in Trek. Did it remind you of the sphere at all? It did. The way it kept getting bigger and bigger. Okay. As it got blown out of the ship, because it's like it has Fletcher's voice and it's talking, and as it, it gets blown out of the ship, it goes, "Don't you talk about my dad?" <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it was just some like random line that like there was no reason for that line to even be there. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, no, I'm glad you had that you you made I almost noted that down. Like it's Spear it's drive? taking in all of this all of this te- it's inhaling all of this technology just like the sphere was inhaling all this information and just getting bigger and bigger. And I, then I and I almost I almost went the route of control saying, "Oh, it's a chief sentence." <laughs> right. Yeah. Someone would have to come in from off screen and say, "It's a chief sentence." And they would all go, "Okay, sure. Yeah." I did it. I'm sorry. All right. Um, continuity watch. Okay. Yes. Um, there's quite a bit to unpack this week, like last week. So, the the voice of the alien commander is actually voiced by J.G. Hertzler, who was who played General Martok on Deep Space Nine. I knew that voice sounded familiar. So, the man who played General Martok has made an appearance on the show. Nice. Um, in the mess hall, when F- Fletcher references uh, the Nausicans, um at the academy, he says Fletcher. He said he, the Nausicans tried to eat Boimer's heart at Boimer's heart at the academy, which reminds me of the Nausic- of on the Next Generation episode Tapestry, which coincidentally features Q. The when Picard's a cadet, the Nausicans actually stab Picard through the heart, and he loses and gets an artificial heart. Wow. So, forgive my Boston accent, people. Got stabbed through the hot. Um, I um I had forgotten how Picard ended up with the heart problem. Yeah, that was why. Yep. So a nice. Connection. It had like yeah, it had sort of like hints of that, and then and then of course the uh, 
the Antares class ship seen in the debris field is from the original series era. You had noted down the registry. Do you want to remind us of that? NCC 502. So to give a quick history, the Antares class ship was first seen in the animated series, More Tribbles, More Troubles. And then they retroactively put that ship design in the original series when they remastered it. And we see it in the original series episode, Charlie X and the, the, of the, and it's the USS Antares. And that registry number is NCC five zero one. So this is the, this is the predecessor to that vessel. It would have been nice if it was actually the same ship though, I will say. Cause yeah, to your point, you're like, safe. yeah. Cause your point, it's like, so what? Why can't it be? Who cares? So what? <laughs> yeah, um, but, you know, maybe they're being safe, which is, you know, can't yep. aren't blame them for that. They're not playing it too safe overall, so we'll forgive some. Tendi hopes to obtain a communicator from that ship, salvage from the debris, so she references it, she references it being as, like, the old clamshell communicator. She's obviously referring to the original series era communicator. Um, most of the holodeck characters that Ensign Rutherford mentions have appeared in previous holodeck stories, but he also mentions um, Cyrano... De Ber- De Bergerac. De Bergerac, thank you. And Robin Hood, but it's probably referencing um, Barkley performing the role of Cyrano on stage, and then uh, Robin Hood obviously is from the episode Q Who. Um, when Fletcher puts that thing on his head and then decides to connect to the Cer- uh, Cerritos computer, it's reminiscent of when Bar- Barkley did the same. Barkley did the same thing. In the in the next generation episode, the nth degree. Wait, why did he do the same thing? It was such a silly thing to do. Yeah, that's why when you talked about Bacchiari, like, I said, "Yo, you just wait," because I have a. Uh... Wait, can you tell me a little bit? So he hooked his brain up to a computer. To the Enterprise computer, yeah. And did he get fried? It's a stupid episode. Yeah, <laughs> it's from like season. Because you can't do that. That's not how brains or computers work. It's from like season four or five. Okay. I think it's when like I think Trek's trying to push the narrative like, oh, the brain is the most advanced computer ever made, ever seen. Um, Deep Space Three, we've actually heard of before from a Next Generation episode, the uh, interface. Um, now this last one is going to be mind blowing for you. So we find out that Boimer's dream position is to get posted aboard the USS Titan. Which is the oh, ship that Fletcher goes to. The Titan is the ship that Riker gets command of at the end of Nemesis. Oh, I'm very proud of myself. So, given the fact that Fletcher was fired, I thought to myself, you know, we really missed out on a potential Riker cameo. Like, how funny would it have been to see Riker literally fire Fletcher out of the ready room, right? It's weird that they say he gets fired, because I never really heard like them call, call it that in Trek, like, oh, I'm getting fired. From a ship, it's more like, oh, I'm getting transferred, right? But yeah, I think but no, I think he was that bad that he would get to get fired. Like, well, you're they done even they even, be a bartender. But they even said it in this episode when when the uh, when the evolved computer core like destroyed the other ship and Boimer goes, oh, we're so getting fired for this. Mm. And I was like, do people in Starfleet get fired? <laughs> Is that how it works? So I think yeah, I think we missed out on a potential Riker cameo, but that's okay. That would have been great. Just one, like, he could have just. Called him up on the phone and been like, yeah, hey, Johnny, right. just say you're fired. Okay. Right. Right. 
yeah, that would that would have been that would have been fun. I think I think that was kind of a missed opportunity. So, so I just have some random thoughts about the episode, and then I'll give my final conclusions. Uh, but as always, in the continuity watch section, if anybody uh, catches anything that I missed, definitely let me know. We hasn't been the case so far, so I guess either I either nobody cares or I've been really good at catching all these continuity nods. Yeah, um, and you covered all my questions, so I don't have any questions this week. Um, and just, yeah, just a few rambling thoughts. So I thought also the show went a little heavy this week on the bleeping of swearing. And while it is funny, how do you, how do you feel about that? The fact that they, they seem to do it so much now. Like, I think it's funny, but at the same time, just kind of like, okay, it's getting, it's getting old now. As in, would you rather... Well, I guess there's two ways to look at it. One would be, I don't want my Starfleet to swear, and the other way would be, I want them to just not bleep them and say them. Um, I don't mind them bleeping. I guess maybe it was just the volume of them this week, maybe, that was getting to me. I just, I don't know. How, how do you feel about it in general? I don't, I don't just mean this week, but the fact that they, just, they do it every single week. I mean, do you find it funny? Do you enjoy it? Take it or leave it? I would rather, I'd rather they just sweared. Yeah. But, and also, this let's say this week, for instance, I mean, the captain was pretty put upon by the um, the, the salvage ship. So right. one, one can forgive some foul language. Well, and it's funny because you never like hear an alien just flat out say, fuck you to a Starfleet captain. Well, they even know what that word means, <laughs> right? Right. Um, do you know the universal translator? Uh, well... I gotta say, and just to just to deviate for like ten seconds, in the op- in the first episode of Deep Space Nine, when oh, there's like a fight on the on the um, promenade, it's when Cisco first comes aboard, and Cisco and Odo is trying to break up a fight, and Cisco shoots his phaser at the wall to get them to stop, and he goes, "That's enough!" And Odo, who's an alien, looks at Cisco and goes, "Who the hell are you?" <laughs> and I thought to myself. Okay, maybe he's just been around humans. I don't know. But there's just something to me weird about an alien using a human swear. I don't know. Especially one that comes from human, you know, myth and religion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't don't know. I'm not saying it's like... It's not a ship, so you can't blame the Universal Translator for just... Right. You know, approximating in English... And Odo was on Deep Space Nine before Cisco got there, where there were no humans at all. So I'm thinking to myself, like, why does Odo know enough to say hell yeah yeah so i don't know um, why, are they, why are they speaking english at all well yeah that's the universal translative thing um which i think is actually a gold mine that this show could potentially tackle that's a trope that i'd really like to see them make fun of um so i think this episode is a really good example of what makes the show's premise work I'll go into a little bit of that when I bring up this um, NPR article that I found. Um, but just to give a little bit of an inkling of what I mean, we were kind of talking about it earlier. I like how we see the senior staff. What, what I, I think, as we were saying, you said they seem to reach a cruising altitude, right? Which I think is good because I think what they're doing, I think what they do in this episode is kind of what I want to see the show be doing. So in other words, what's the crisis that the senior, that the bridge crew is facing? And how is that sort of trickling down and affecting the Lower Decks crew 
and it, it essentially is them causing it's causing them their own crisis out of this whole situation and I think that's kind of what I feel like the show has maybe hit upon like that's kind of what I want the show to be they're dealing with something and it's causing and that's causing an issue for the people down on lower decks lower decks isn't dealing with the aliens what's happening what the aliens are doing to the ship they're now having to contend with on their own it's causing their own set of problems yes I I love that as well and I think that that's where we get the balance that we wanted where it is right like 75 25 lower decks to bridge crew right and you know we we don't, i don't want to see our lower decks um in the middle of solving the issue for the whole ship right like we've seen before because just you know random situation happenstance they right. end up directly involved so I think um, I like I think that if you're on an away mission, that's fair game yep. because it's a smaller group. Yep. But yeah, I really really like this that they were not directly involved in the whole right. salvage situation. And and that was our concern, like toward the beginning, as we were approaching the midpoint of the season. I mean, again, it, specifically episodes three and four, which. I was not a huge, huge fan of. You seem to like them a little more than I do, but we at least agreed on, like, we had we shared the same concern in that it seemed like they had already abandoned their premise. Yes. I think I, what I liked, I just found them to be funnier. Right. So I don't, I don't think it's the fault of them having the balance different. I just, more mm. of the jokes didn't land for me this time, I think. Yeah. And also it felt a little bit more like the balance had shifted from like sort of joke to plot, mm. I feel, which is not a bad thing. It's just interesting how some episodes are more like this episode's clearly more about the jokes and the plot's kind of secondary. And this one felt like plot was. I think focus. I think the show can write can write jokes fine. But I think. I don't think that's all it should be, I think, like trek has done in the past like specific episodes like the voyage home i think a fair amount of the humor should come out of the situation that they find themselves in definitely write jokes as punchlines but i don't think that should be your own your only uh source of way to get your humor from agreed and so i like the new cruising altitude i just hope that they um make me laugh more and that might just be my personal humor. Right. And I'm wondering if Badgie, is this going to be the end, the last time we see Badgie? Is he going to become like the new Professor Moriarty for them? Right? Because when the holodeck doors close, he's like, I'll be here. And I thought, That's a good point. I'm like, oh, is he going to, are they going to do like a, a Professor Moriarty thing? Which I would love. Because I just, I feel like, I think Badgie is going to become a really popular character as a show goes on. I think fans are going to really take to him. And I think they have already from what I've seen on Twitter, so. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even think of Badgie as being recurring, but you make a good point. That's a, there's a long tradition of um, holodeck characters becoming mainstays of the franchise. Yeah. Um, any kind of random thoughts, random observations from you before I sort of give my final conclusion on the episode? Uh, no, so my final conclusion, like I said, I think it was an enjoyable episode story-wise more than laugh-wise. Mm. And... Um, you know, I'm enjoying spending time with these characters and looking forward to it. So that's the nice part. Yeah. Agreed. 
and just kind of final conclusions for me. I mean, it's it's not about the episode entirely, but sort of like how this is adding to the overall premise of the show. I think, again, you know, wasn't a huge fan of episodes three and four. But I feel like Lower Decks is really beginning to continue to show that the Trek universe can really expand beyond what we've seen. Um, you know, I, I would say it was questionable at first whether a an adult animated Star Trek comedy could work, but I think Lower Decks clearly proves that it can. And I do wonder if this is is this potentially kicking off something new that we could maybe other other could they could they do this again? Could they do more shows like this and just sort of like because I think the humor is going to come out of how they where they set this show, what they do with it, right? And, like, I think that NPR article suggests this as well, but, like, you know, do you do something like keeping up with the Cardassians or something, right? Like, are there other places in the Trek universe you could mine to make another adult comedy, right? And I think as sort of Trek movies review of this episode puts it in regard to the show overall. It seems that this, that Trek, Star Trek Lower Decks overall, it feels like a natural part of the franchise that's filling an unknown need. And I, I, I just, I like the way that that's put. It's like, yeah, me too. Yeah. And I think it, so I know I'm going to bring up the thing, not the big one, but so it's, it's almost like, we sort of knew the need was there because the Orville was so successful. Right. And I feel like the Orville was filling this need a little bit too, where it's like, here's your nineties style track with humor right. put in. Right. And kind of, that's what we're getting with this. So yeah, I like to see that Star Trek's filling a need and not, um, the creator of family guy. Yes. Agreed. Um, so I don't have, we generally wrap the show up with news. Obviously, Star Trek Day was a few days ago, and we already did an episode on that, so no new news has broken since then. But Well, so a lot of fake news has broken. Oh, God. Do you want to get into fake news? Well, I'm just, you know, I can't help it for some reason to look at these things, but the hate... Okay, go ahead. The hate YouTubers are saying yes. that um, um, it's... Star Trek Day was a disaster, and they don't have any money to make Strange New Worlds because the only reason they did Star Trek Day was so that investors would um, give them money to make Strange New Worlds. Picard is canceled. Um, what else was it? <laughs> and this was a lot of this was based on the fact that um, CBS All Access had cut up some of the panels into these one-minute clips and put them on YouTube. And they didn't have a lot of views. I, I mean, listen. So of course, my question is: if it's a thirty-minute panel and you and you put one minute of it on YouTube, why would anyone want to watch that? It's like, and, and didn't they watch it the whole panel? I am, you know, people listening to this obviously can't see my face. I just, I don't even. <laughs> yeah. These okay. I mm. they're getting millions of views. That's why I keep talking about it. But like, do, do these do these haters, people like these YouTube commentators, 
Like, do they are they just trolling? Like, do they do they believe all of this? I, Ser- I mean, honestly. Well, their their viewers believe it because I read the comments too. Yeah. Oh God. I mean, there's also been a reprise. There's been a reprise also of the um, woke trek as political correctness and liberal politics have destroyed Star Trek. There's also that's a big oh chorus of that. It's the same stuff, but I think it's important to address it because it's crazy. The reason I think it's interesting is just because it's, it's amazing. It. Yes, and it's so popular. They're getting so many views. It's and be- so many people commenting about how Trek has been destroyed intentionally. And it's it's really is weird conspiracy. It's as strange as the conspiracy theories you hear around politics and protests. It's because the last time Trek was on the air back during the Enterprise days, YouTube was in its infancy and you didn't have commentators like this. So this is like new territory for Trek for the Trek universe when it comes to having Yeah, maybe like you had these... one weirdo that would like you maybe had one weirdo that you would see at the comic book store who'd be like, Trek, they ruined it, man. Yeah, I mean, but you might have, like... Or, like, you might have, like, some stupid fucking GeoCity site that has all this stuff, but, like... Yeah. It's... Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so that was it. So I wanted to bring in the fake news because there's this whole thing about how Star Trek Day was um, the final nail in the coffin of Star Trek. Dude, everything is a final... I mean, hasn't I think Kurtzman's been fired ever since... Discovery began, so... Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it is interesting that all their predictions don't happen, and yet people keep showing up. Yeah, there was a... There was an article... So, again, I don't have news, legitimate news. <laughs> but uh, I stumbled upon a NPR article that was written about the show, and this is back when the show first premiered, and they were talking specifically. I think at that point... The article said that they were able to review, the press was able to review the first four episodes. And um, there were some, there were like two quotes in the article that really kind of jumped out at me because I feel like it speaks to um, our feelings on the show. And they're good. Before I do that, though, is it worth you, you sort of reminding the viewers like who the writer is and what like his because you know a little bit about the writer of this article. Yeah, so the writer is fantastic. His name is Glenn Weldon, and he does the pop culture kind of beat on, at NPR with a bunch of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has a great podcast. They all do. There's so, so three or four of them. It's yep. called uh, Pop Culture Happy Hour. And they kind of do everything from film, TV, music. And they did an episode, or at least a segment of an episode, on Lower Decks which was cool. And also he wrote this fantastic book called uh, um, the Caped Crusade, Batman fan, no, ba- Batman fandom and the creating of nerd culture, something like that. Mm. Um, and I read it and it was fantastic. Cause it was, he's a very funny writer. And so he went through the whole history of Batman and fans of Batman and their reactions to Batman. Um, and he sort of, he made a very good case for the fact that it was the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. And well, even before that, actually it was sort of the, the demise of the, the eighties, nineties Batman franchise. And then the start of the Christopher Nolan that made 
um, internet commentary important to Hollywood and that they actually started to pay attention to it and, hmm. you know, listen to it and use it to their own devices. So it was very interesting. And um, nice. he's also gone through the cycles of loving Batman and then hating whatever new Batman comes along with great sources. I mean, and the historian, I was, impre- I was very impressed. Like he found fanzines from the sixties about the TV show. And is he an older guy? Um, maybe like probably maybe fifties, okay. fifties. Yeah. And does he, when he did like the lower decks episode, like, does he, does he come at it as a Trek fan? Um, he's more of a comic fan, but I, I think he definitely has some love of Trek. So it's neat because what they do is, um, there's three of them and they all watch, read whatever the, each of the topics are. So they have all different perspectives. So you had some people that grew up with Trek right. and then another one who maybe barely knows anything about Trek. So it was an interesting discussion. Well, uh, if he's not a Trek fan, I'd be surprised, um, just based on what he wrote here that I'm going to be quoting. If he's not, I mean, he's a fantastic writer. With these it, I quotes, guess he, but, yeah, it would make sense that he is. I mean, he's definitely of the right age group and, so, you know, so as I uh, mentioned, nerdy inclinations. It's a great article um, that talks about his review of the first four episodes. But as I mentioned, there were, there were two particular quotes in the article that really jumped out at me. Um, and they kind of speak to kind of our feelings about the show, right? So the first quote that he has is he says the show is at its strongest when it sticks most closely to its premise background Trek characters going about their days intersecting with the glamorous bridge crew only glancingly if at all and well said perfectly well said because that's that's what we that's what we got this week right we didn't get mm-hmm. we got too much of that we didn't get any of that like in the third and fourth there was too much encountering with the with the rich crew so i love the way that was put and then there's another observation here that i that he made that i actually really like so he said um if nothing else star trek lower decks by staking its claim as a as the officially licensed star trek comedy series will likely throw the orville with its untenable mix of glib goofs and Malden drama into a profound existential crisis. <laughs> well I lo- said. I yeah. love that because when you really think about it, like the Orville is what the Orville wants to be this show, right? The Orville wants to be a Star Trek comedy. And it's 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 a Star Trek show without the Star Trek license, right? And you can just tell that like Seth MacFarlane is really walking the fine line. It's like it's teetering oh, yeah. on Trek, but it's not. Right? It's like it's like one lawsuit away. Yes. And right? I do, yeah. But I do respect the fact that he clearly loves Star Trek. No, agreed. Agreed. And I think like I, I, I wouldn't call myself a big fan of Family Guy. I liked it for a time. Mm. I'd be curious to know, like, if how a Seth MacFarlane Star Trek animated comedy would go down. Um, well, he was on Enterprise, wasn't he? Well, he was an actor on Enterprise. One of the yeah. writers of Family Guy was uh, a writer on Enterprise, David David Goodman. Mm. Um, 
So I just I found that interesting because like really because don't forget like Discovery haters go over to the Orville and say oh that's my Star Trek right uh, yeah, or just well just not like back. not even just Discovery haters but just like haters of modern Trek over there because that's that's because Discovery Kurt's Trek or whatever they call it right because or CBS Trek is what I've heard too because to them the Orville is fulfilling that need right. And no, it is Kurtzman Trek. That's the right. They blame him personally for everything. And so, and I, I just I found that interesting because I, I mean, I granted I'm not a fan of the Orville. I mean, I thought it was funny. I thought it was interesting on the first episode, but like, I think watching the Orville, like, so like the Orville premiered the same season as Discovery. They've just, they premiered like weeks apart, so like there's always been a Trek show on the air alongside it. And I feel like if the Orville premiered when there was no Trek on the air, or like maybe a year before, I'd probably like it, but I but it would only make me feel like, yeah, but I wish this was Trek. Right. You know, so it's I feel like Lower Decks is kind of eating its lunch a little bit. And I, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I just don't know I found if I've that seen interesting. To, to be able to judge, I think I've seen about fifteen minutes of the Orwell. I've seen the first season. Just to wrap things up, we used to have a segment where we would speculate on what the next on next week's episode could be about based on the title. Mm-hmm. We normally we knew the episode titles up to a point, and then after a while, after I think a few weeks, we didn't anymore until like the day before but now we actually know the name of next week's episode so we can speculate again right and the name of next week's episode is called much ado about boimler yes so i've uh, this really is just our opportunity to do some improv comedy i feel <laughs> yeah so do you have a thought kevin uh, i think it's gonna okay um if you want to think i can go I can I can I can make an observation. Okay. It's the thirteenth episode to feature somebody's name in the title. <laughs> okay. Well, here's a here's a continuity corner for you. Okay. How many other episodes, which I'm sure there have been some, have had a Shakespeare a play on a Shakespeare title or line? Well, Shakespeare, of course, is key in Trek, but. Um, there are episodes of, so Dagger of the Mind, Conscious of the King, All Our Yesterdays, and By Any Other Name. Mm. Yes. All right, so it adds to that. Yeah. And right, of course, like General Chang in Star Trek VI, everything he says is Shakespeare, but yes. as far as titles go, yeah. And of course, in the, it's better in the original Klingon. It's, Shakespeare was from England, dude. I don't know what you're talking about. All right. So... <laughs> Much ado about a Boomler. Now, since it is a uh, Shakespeare reference, I believe that what's going to happen is the ship is going to be hosting a celebrity for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe they transport him to like Starbase 80 or something. But the yeah. celebrity that they are transporting is none other than not not John Luke Picard, but Patrick Stewart. Okay. So they're transporting Patrick Stewart to Starbase 80, we'll say. So Patrick Stewart himself. 
exists yeah. in the Trek universe, yeah. and he's like 500 years old. Yes. Okay. Okay. And Picard, he people might comment that he looks like Picard, but you know it's not really going to be a big part of it. Mm. And on the way to pass the time, um, for some reason they're going to have to. Boimler has to act uh, alongside Sir Patrick Stewart in a Shakespeare production of Much Ado About Nothing. And now there's an emergency though, and for some through some series of wacky events. Sir Patrick Stewart has to captain the Ceratos. And he's really bad at it. But I think it would be hilarious. Well, you make you you've given me an idea. I think you I think so so first of all, I think your entire plot is preposterous. Completely preposterous. But that's fine. Because it's lower decks we're talking about. Yeah, and I don't know. We'll have to come up with some reason that he's still alive. So, so here's the thing. We know that Q is coming aboard the show at some point. We don't know when. I think it's going to be next week. Because it puts me in mind of one scene between Picard and Q where they uh, talk Shakespeare. And Q actually hurls a Shakespeare book at Picard, and he catches it. Picard uses Picard uses a Shakespeare quote to burn Q, and it pisses Q off. Oh, that's brilliant! So it could be definitely Q based. So I'm wondering if this is. I mean, it, it, it could be totally off, but I, I'm. I, I mean, I feel like I'm grasping at a few straws here. But, Trying to make my nonsensical story make sense. Yeah, I mean, but. Here's another funny twist. We were never right about when we would make guesses. We were never right anyway. So I mean, no, but they were yeah. sometimes maybe better than the episode. I don't know. Right. Maybe. Well, everybody's got a better episode in their mind. I'm not going to say for certain. Um, here's the other one. Sir Patrick Stewart, his body was replaced. He was his consciousness was put into an android. That's why he's still alive. <laughs> oh, that's funny because parallels Picard, of course. Yeah. And so he has to captain the ship, but he's really bad at it. Oh, okay, here we go. Boimler's really bad at acting. Patrick Stewart's really good. But then he has to captain the ship, and he's really bad. And then Boimler has to take over because somehow, like, the saucer section detaches and only, like, the stage was on the saucer section or something. Yep. So it's only the two of them. That's how it's going to go down. Um, Bread and Circuses is from Shakespeare, right? Yes. Okay, that's yes. another that's another episode title. I don't think I named everything, but uh, yeah, bread and circuses. I forgot about that one. I, and again, I'm not up on Shakespeare at all. Is all good things? It sounds Shakespearean to me, but is it? That I don't know. I'm all, I only really know the ones that I've had to teach for work. Okay. Well, I'm not very I'm not very educated, so laugh away, people. Hamlet and Macbeth are the two that I've taught, so I know those pretty well. Yeah, and they're pretty enjoyable. I, I think find that, I think, very I, think enjoyable. I think there's one I th- actually I think there's one episode thine own self Isn't that to thine own self be isn't that Macbeth to thine own self be true it's Definitely not Macbeth it might be Hamlet Could be Hamlet yeah thine I, there was one called I think a next gen episode thy own self some kind of some I believe that's what it's called yeah Macbeth was not true to himself ever Right 
Um, Macbeth was always my favorite Shakespeare story. Shakespeare's good. Yeah. The thing I learned from teaching it is that if you just show up at a Shakespeare to watch it, I think it's very hard to follow. But you kind of got to read the story beforehand to know what's going on and then go see it. Then Find out more it. on our upcoming Shakespeare podcast. Yes. Kevin um, and Ethan dig the bard. That's what it's called. Okay, well, aside from that brief lapse into Shakespeare, which is interesting, that will... First time for that one. That will do it for this week, and we'll be back next week to see if either one of us was right. I would say, again, for me, at the very least, that could be the Q episode, but who knows? I I think that makes more sense. I I know that I'm I'm going to be right eventually. That Q is going to show up. Um, Yeah, so thanks for listening. Uh, Tell a friend. Leave a review. Um, Spam everyone you know with links to our show. However you want to handle it is okay with us. All right. See everyone then. Peace out. Peace out.